that you're joining us. Each day is filled with so many choices, and we're grateful that you've chosen to make us a part of your day. My name's Angel, and I'm here for the finale of Light of the World. They say hindsight's 20-20. As I look back at first century Jews, I believe it's true. They were expecting the arrival of a Messiah. Their scripture had even recorded God's promise to provide them with a savior. They believed that this Messiah would be a political and military leader, that he would save their culture, driving out the Roman Empire and making Israel a feared military power again. But when God orchestrated Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, he wanted something much bigger and much more personal. As we wrap up and head into this week of Christmas, I hope this will set you up to see the story of Jesus that we commemorate with Christmas a little differently each year. But before we do that, Today I want to read what we call the Christmas story. And the reason I want to read the Christmas story is I have a feeling, like me, many of you, in the midst of all the busyness around Christmas, can get so busy that the day after Christmas it dawns on us, if it dawns on us at all, hey, I celebrated Christmas and I never revisited the Christmas story. I mean, I drove by nativity scenes, I set up mine maybe in the house, but I never actually looked at the story for myself. So. Today, I just want to look at the gospel accounts of the birth narratives and kind of string them together and basically read the story of Jesus, the story that we Christians commemorate this time of year. Now, as many of you know, we have four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is very direct. Matthew takes you through the whole thing. Luke is very detailed, but John, he doesn't really tell us what happened. John tells us why it happened. And when John begins his gospel, he doesn't begin with Bethlehem angels, shepherds, and all that stuff. John tells us why Jesus came, and he says stuff like this. The Word, that's God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And instead of the birth narratives, he decides to let everybody know, here's the deal. God made an appearance. John's an old man when he writes this. He's seen the crucifixion. He peered into the tomb. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. And then he saw the chaos, the persecution of the church, destruction of the temple, the world turned upside down, and he's looking back, and he just wants you to know right up front as you get into this thing, here's what I think, having seen the whole deal happen. God showed up on a body and made his dwelling among us. He just goes to the why behind the what. In verse 9, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, he says, at the very first Christmas, God brought everybody a gift. The true light was for everyone, and the light coming into the darkness means that we could say, oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't realize that's how I'm supposed to treat people. But the thing that makes John's introduction, in fact, John's entire gospel, so fascinating is that John is the one that gets so personal about Jesus. He writes this up front in his gospel in verse 12, to all, that would be you and me, your mother, your mother-in-law, your cousin that you don't really want to see this Christmas, to all who receive him, and he's like, to all who receive him, you know, how, how do you receive someone you've never met? How do you receive a baby? And then John does something amazing, and this is really important. John realizes, okay, they've got to get this. They've got to understand how personal this is. This isn't just a story. So John takes two Greek words that had never been combined before and creates a new phrase. Now, in our culture, when somebody uses a word a way that nobody else has used it, you kind of stop and notice. It's an attention grabber. 
a phrase suddenly means something that didn't mean before, or people start using a phrase in a way that they never used the phrase before, and it sort of becomes a cultural thing. And John does this. Uh, John takes two Greek words that, as far as we know, had never been put together up to this point. He takes the word for faith, pistio, to believe, and the little Greek word that means in, and he puts them together and he says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. It's more than believe that. It's the idea of placing one's weight on. It's like trusting in. To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John wants you to know this isn't just a story. This is so personal. In fact, at the end of his gospel, he, he makes sure that we don't miss this by giving us the why behind the what. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago. He said in verse 31 of chapter 20, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All of you. This actually happened. This is history. This is God in a body, and the purpose of it is so that you can have a personal relationship with a God that up until that point seemed so unknowable. It was true that God loved the whole world, but it was more than that. God loved the who's in the world. God loved the you's in the world. And it's true that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but John wanted us to know that Jesus died for your sin and my sin. Now, here's a cool thing, and I promise I'll get to the Christmas story, right? Throughout Jesus' whole ministry, they kept thinking, okay, is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? Is now the time that we're going to become a great kingdom? You know, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe that you're the Christ. So when are you going to start acting like a Messiah and a king? When are we going to get this show on the road? And for three years, they kept waiting for him to do something that he never planned to do. It took them three years to realize that they had the wrong agenda the entire time. And here's the reason that's important for you and for me. Because a lot of times, I know for me, I have a wrong agenda when it comes to Jesus as well. We want Jesus to be so many things. We want Jesus to do so many things. We want to put Jesus into so many different little boxes. And John wants us to make sure that we don't miss the why behind the what. That Jesus didn't come to be a culture warrior. He didn't come to simply heal people. Jesus came to this world to be a savior, a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, as in just for you, savior. And if John were here, I think his question for us this Christmas would be, do you believe? And not just do you believe that, but have you trusted in, to use that little phrase he crafted, and I think here's what he would say, if not, if you don't believe, keep seeking. And if you aren't sure you believe, keep asking, because he would say to you, it took me a while too. I mean, I sat by the campfire with this guy. I saw miracles. I was in the boat when Peter jumped out and we thought, way to go, Peter. And then it's, oh no, Peter. You know, I was there. I witnessed these things. And now I'm an old man. And I realized it took us a while to understand why Jesus came. He came for the whole world, and he came for the sins of the whole world. And as much as we thought our problem was Rome, and as much as we thought our problem was money, and as much as we thought our problem was culture, and as much as we thought our problem was him and her and it, it finally dawned on us that God sent us exactly what we needed because our problem was sin. Okay, so the Christmas story. Luke's gospel does not begin with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. Luke's gospel begins with, I have talked to the people who were there, I've talked to the eyewitnesses, and I put together an orderly account about how this thing actually went down. Luke begins like this. 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, way up north in a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. And what a statement. You know, the Lord is with you because she was scared to death. In fact, the next verse says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel continues, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You're not in trouble. Remember when your mom and dad would, you know, call you down? Whenever my dad would say, John David, you know, I just assumed it was bad news. So Mary's like, here's an angel. I must be in trouble. Do not worry, Mary. You are highly favored of God. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him. And this is really important, okay? You are to call him Jesus. This is kind of tricky. The name Jesus is actually Latin. She didn't hear the name Jesus. She heard a Hebrew word that we know as Joshua, but there's no J in Hebrew, so it's pronounced Yeshua. And this is important for later on in the story. She hears the angel say, you're going to give birth to a son. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what to name him. You're going to name him after the Old Testament hero, Yeshua. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants and the kingdom forever. Now we're going to hit the pause button here with Luke. And we're going to go to Matthew. Because here's how Matthew's account of Jesus' life begins. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Matthew tells us. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found, literally discovered. She was shocked, and even though the angel had appeared, and even though she knew this was coming, you know, like maybe I was imagining that, and how in the world is this going to happen? This was a bad day for Mary. Suddenly she realizes she's pregnant, and she tells someone who tells someone, but she doesn't tell them her whole story because they think she's crazy. And as awkward as that is for young ladies in our culture, I'm telling you, it was a capital offense in that culture. She could have been burned to death. She would certainly be ostracized. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He decided to divorce her quietly. Now, you may know this, but in that day and age, because they'd been promised to each other, it was like they were married. For him to, quote, break up with her, it wasn't like send a text message, you know, it's over. This was a legal thing. He had to actually go to a priest, sign something. He had to legally break up with her because she had been promised to him since she was a child. Maybe since he was a child. This was a big deal. There was no way for this to not be public, but he was going to try to keep it as quiet as possible. The scripture continues. After he considered this, he thought, I don't really know what to do, you know. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and Mathis gives you Joseph's side of the story. And this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, even though people are going to talk, even though people are going to assume that you are the father, even though people are going to assume that you've brought shame to your family, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets exciting for Joseph. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Again, he didn't hear Jesus, he heard Jesus. Yeshua. So an angel says to him in a dream, Mary's going to give birth to a son, not your biological son, from the Holy Spirit, and you're to name him Joshua because, and if Joseph would have been awake, he probably would have said, you don't have to tell me because, I know why. Because if this son given from the Holy Spirit is going to be given the name Joshua, I know why he's here. 
And the angel said, he will save his people. And Joseph's getting excited. He knows what this is. I'm a part of the fulfillment of this thing we've all been looking for. He's going to be like the Joshua, the Old Testament. He's going to save his people. And the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. Hey, hey, time out, angel. That's not even a pressing need. In fact, angel, you know, may I call you angel? I don't know if you know this, but about 70 to 80 miles south of here, we have a pretty sophisticated save yourself from sin system called the temple, the law of Moses. We've got save you from your sins covered. When I sin, I go down there, I take a couple of pigeons, maybe a lamb, a goat, something. We do a sacrifice. We don't need to be saved from our sins. Now, Rome, they need to be saved from their sins. And we need to be saved from Rome, you know, like Old Testament style. So, Angel, if there's going to be some saving going on, I've got ideas. This wasn't what they were looking for. And yet the angel said to Joseph, you're going to have a son, and he will come in the spirit of Joshua, the deliverer, the savior, but he's going to save your people from the thing they need saving the most, their sin. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told him to, because that's what you do. If an angel appears to you, you do whatever the angel told you to do. So he took Mary home as his wife, even though they weren't married. Now we're going to jump back to Luke because the story continues. And this gets dramatic and very rich. And you've possibly heard these words a thousand times, but this was a big deal. Some time goes by. Mary begins to show. Everybody knows she's pregnant. They still haven't had a wedding. There's rumors. You know, but who's going to believe their crazy story? And then Luke gives us some more details. In those days, Caesar Augustus, it says, the first Roman emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, this is amazing because, you see, Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, about 70 to 100 miles from Bethlehem, depending on which route you took. And yet the prophets of old predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But they're not in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. And she's close to giving birth. And they're just thinking that they're going to give birth in Nazareth. But somewhere along the way, God elbowed somebody in the empire and word got to Caesar Augustus. You know, we need to count the people. And so God used the most powerful man on the planet to make sure that his son was born in the right place. And Caesar never knew it. How cool is that? So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth down to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting their child. And this was not an easy journey. I know all the pictures in the storybooks show Mary riding a donkey. Do you know what verse that is in? That'd be none of them. But it looks good, doesn't it? You know, she's on a donkey. They're in the middle of nowhere. He's in the front, kind of walking along. She's got her legs draped over the side. It's a great picture. Maybe that's how it happened. Or maybe she was on a horrible wagon, just bump, bump, bump. Or, you know, maybe she was walking. And it took a long time. In fact, it could have taken anywhere from like five to eight days. And she's very pregnant. But they have to go. And I'm sure they're in a bad mood. I'm mean, thinking, why in the world would God do this to us? You know, they're making their way to the city of David to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And this is so interesting. Because we should ask the question, why shepherds? There are lots of people. Why not, you know, and, and the angels appeared to the plumbers gathered at the bar. And the answer is we don't know. But here's what we know about shepherds. 
shepherds were always ceremonially unclean. They couldn't even go in the temple. When you walk around behind thousands of sheep, you step in things. You're always unclean in Jewish society. They themselves, in a way, were kind of outcasts from the whole religious system. And so God chooses to announce the birth of his son to the group of people that would be least likely to be able to participate. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. Now, everybody's terrified in this story. And here's why. Because when God shows up, it's terrifying. When God shows up, it's big and loud and glorious and overwhelming. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is the announcement to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you guys you guys who thought you might be beyond saving, you guys who never got included in anything religious, you guys that were sort of outcast, a Savior has been born to you. You are included. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby. How are we going to find a baby? We're not finished. Wrapped in a cloth and lying in, something you guys know about, a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor, even shepherds, rests. When the angel left them, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has, and again, this is important. Are you looking? Are you listening? Anybody bored? Don't be bored. And see this thing that has happened. Here's what you need to understand if you're not a Christian. We're not Christians because of the Bible. We are Christians because something happened. We're Christians because God came to earth and things happened and people recorded them because when important things happen, you record them. We have four accounts of the life of a carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Because, my friends, something happened. And the fact that something happened was why it was recorded and why it was precious and why it was copied and why people died to make sure it made it to our generation. We're not Jesus followers because we believe a book. We're Jesus followers because something happened. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds had said to them. And then perhaps the most important verse in the whole birth narrative. I love this. And ladies, you guys get this. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them, hid them in her heart. Because after all, who would believe her? Her reputation had been shattered. And we assume she tried to raise Jesus as normally as possible, but then one day, about 33 years later, she'd watch her firstborn son die. And then she'd peer into an empty tomb. And then she'd be embraced by her resurrected son, whom she knew without a doubt in that moment was in fact exactly what the angels foretold. He was the savior of the world. But he wasn't just a savior. He was her personal savior and Matthew would do his best to write it down and get it right because something happened and Luke would do his best to write it down and get it right because he wanted to put things in some sort of chronological order but it would be John who took care of Mary who would summarize it best and years later as an old man he's sitting by himself and he's writing all of this down to make sure that it survives him you know something happened and he gets to this part of the story of Jesus and he comes up with a way to summarize it. And little did he know 
that what he was about to write would be repeated and memorized by children and adults all over the world in languages that had yet to be spoken, in nations that had yet to be discovered. John summarizes it all this way. For God so loved the world. This is the Christmas story that he gave on that very first Christmas, his one and only son, that whoever, and then he's like, oh yeah, gotta use my phrase, believes in, trusts in, places the weight upon, will not perish, but have eternal life. He's an old man and he wonders, will anybody do anything with this? You think this will get around? And here we are over 2,000 years later, most of us can quote it. But it doesn't stop there. Here's the part we never memorized as children. Here's the punctuation. Here's why we celebrate Christmas. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That God sent a savior into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Which means, in spite of what we think we need, God understood what we really needed. A personal savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a narrative that 2,000 years later, for many of us, we would say it has completely changed our lives. It's changed our lives in ways we don't know because we don't know what you have protected us from because your grace has protected us from it. For others, we wish we'd heard when we were younger or some of us wish we'd take it seriously when we were younger, but here we are this Christmas season to say thank you for sending exactly what we need, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Heavenly Father, if it's never been personal before, I pray that it would become personal today, this Christmas week, in someone's life, in your Son's name.